Scaling and growing a startup can be tricky and sometimes even mysterious. It requires leaders to have a breadth of knowledge on company building strategies across marketing, sales, product, and talent. The Startup Guide to Growth was created to be the definitive podcast on growth strategies for startups. Hosted by Sapphire Ventures, we bring you actionable growth strategies that you can use to scale your company through insights and stories from accomplished operators. Ready to grow your startup? Then listen up. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions or views of Sapphire Ventures, LLC. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes and should not be construed as an investment recommendation or otherwise relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Thanks for joining. My name is Rika Malazzi, and I'm Senior Director of Go-To-Market Ops at Sapphire Ventures. I'm excited to have with me today Javi Molina, SVP of Worldwide Corporate and Cloud Sales at MongoDB. Javi has been one of the leaders that has stewarded MongoDB's go-to-market transformation to selling their fastest-growing cloud offering solution, Atlas. MongoDB's cloud product, Atlas, has reinvented their business and been a game-changer for the company's continued growth. In this episode, we will discuss the go-to-market strategy for selling open-source software, how their cloud offering transformed how they engage with customers, the three distinct customer channels that MongoDB created to increase sales velocity, and the genesis and role of the cloud team at MongoDB. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Javi, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I think your, int- your background is very interesting and it helps provide context for why we're having this conversation. So can you provide listeners with you know, a thumbprint of your experiences? Uh, I know we discussed this in our preparation to this, this podcast, and I'd love to give the audience that, that insight as well. Yeah, definitely. So when I was when I was graduating college, uh, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. Like like most twenty two year olds, I wanted to get into advertising. I was coming off of trying to be a, a pharmacist, uh, you know, a pre farm degree, and realized I wanted to be in sales. So I had a, a capstone class in college where you know we learned about objection handling and 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 those sort of things, and so really enjoyed the the art of sales. And so I think my experience is unique is in the fact that I you know I did a good two and a half three years of non-software sales as opposed to you know how some people go from college straight into software sales and so i sold industrial equipment to start off with or industrial supplies so nuts bolts i would sell like you know three hundred dollars of nuts bolts and i would make five percent on the sale i'd have to go and deliver it so that was the whole process in itself and you know really kind of learned what hard work was then went into home security sales so i would meet with people that were you know building a home i'll talk to them about their home technology exterior speakers doing surround sound in their house and at the very end, I would I would you know pitch them on their security system, what they had, adding accessories to it, and then at the very end, I would try to ask for a three-year contract with the first month payment, which again they they haven't uh, the house hasn't even broken ground yet, to sign a three-year contract with the first year payment, and then also add warranty. And so you know I was getting twenty-five dollars a sale at the time, worked seven days a week for my last nine months there. I was the number one sales rep in the nation, but I think that whole experience really made me realize like. You know, really get used to talking to people face to face, like reading situations, how to how to take conversations. I think I had a ninety two percent close rate at the time as far as like my face to face interactions. But who's counting? Uh, such a <laughs> such a, uh, a specific number. But when I got into software, I remember I still remember my second day on the job. My boss sold an eleven thousand dollar deal for me, and I did the calculations, and I think my commission was like three hundred and seventy five dollars. And again, remember I'm coming off of seven days a week. $25 of sale, I'm about to get $300 of something off of commission. I'm like, I love software. Like, this is, this is great. 
And so anyway, long story short, IT management monitoring company, I ended up, you know, going from individual contributor into channel sales, into a manager, into director, in which I own the Western part of the U.S. I own the channel team. I own the Latin America team. It was a definitely fun ride. But I think the, the really important part of that story, the company was a inside sales only company. It was, um, you know, selling to the enterprises from the inside. It was about being operationally efficient. It was about tying to demand gen. It was well before its time in regards to bottoms up selling. And this was like 2008, 2009. So you're talking about being very heavy in marketing and demand gen and really understanding the flow of the growth engine and, and also selling from the inside again. So that was a school that I grew up in before I got to Mongo. And so when I got to Mongo, very you know, enterprise process, sales driven, outbound prospecting, a very, very different experience. And so I like to say that like I matched up my, you know, inside operational perspective with now an outbound prospecting enterprise sales process. And so kind of Matching those two things together, I feel like, is a unique skill set in the market. Um, and I think it's going to be a good perspective in regards to uh, how to evolve the sales team and the go-to-market motion that we that I started in 2017 with MongoDB. I think one of the things that you mentioned that was interesting, and I want to tease that out, is not necessarily hiring for the conventional career progression path, SDR, AE, to a sales leader and manager. So then what are the signals you look for then when you hire those people, because obviously they don't have the necessary experience, but there's other things you must be looking for that you can tell will make them successful in an enterprise sales role. Because I think it's important because we're in a talent crisis. So not only, I think maybe you can get better candidates if they don't have that progressional path, but in some instances, you can't even get that progressional path because there's just not enough talent out there. Right. Yeah, if you go and, and you go and try to find, uh, and maybe it's maybe it's because, um, I, left, I left this part out, but I, I played baseball in college and you know, I wasn't uh, like, you know, the big recruit coming out and walked on, worked my way towards a scholarship, kind of the, the underdog, I guess you could say. And so I always appreciate that quality in people where like, you know, they've had to work for everything they've had in their life. They've had some sort of struggle. They've, you know, they've really focused on, on uh, being the best version of themselves. And like, if you just give them an opportunity, they can flourish into the type of uh, employee that you want them to or salesperson in, in our story. So I really get into the personal characteristics as much as I can into a uh, in an interview process. So, like looking for qualitative traits. You know how how driven are they? Do they think about their career strategically? You know, are they coachable? All those things that are that are really important. And there's different scales and measurements of each one, of course. But um, you know, it's really kind of threading some of that stuff out of uh, an interview process that helps us get the best talent that we can out there. That's helpful. Can you explain? Today, what your current role is as a leader at MongoDB? Yeah, so I, I uh, maybe a, um, a lesson in, in um, career pathing for people. Like I was, you know, I was, I was, you know, director at my last company. I was leading a bunch of teams. I had a lot of responsibility, and then, but I came to Mongo for to learn to to really, you know, latch on to a, you know, again, I mean, nothing about Atlas in 2017. I came to sell enterprise advanced, but I joined for the real growth opportunity. I knew that we're going, or I felt like we're going public. I mean, we had great executives, we had, we had great product, we had a great product market fit. The total addressable market was massive, great board members, all of the above. And so when I came to Mongo, I, I came and I started running a team of five people. And so I've grown into the, the role that I have today, which is the uh, SAP of corporate cloud sales, I think is the official title. But really what that means is I have all, I have a global sales team, 130 salespeople with, with a tremendous leadership team and, and really driven individuals. We focus on sub $250 million companies, as well as companies that are sub 1,500 employees. And then in emerging markets like APAC and then LATAM, I own enterprise sales there as well. So 
Uh, that's the current role that I have today. And there's also, uh, I also have a, uh, a cloud team, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that sales is more of an art. I think this kind of hybrid go-to-market requirement convergence requires you to be just as much, uh, you know, the art sale, but also the science, which I feel like bottom leg uh, product like growth is. It's it's definitely more mechanical inspecting those metrics. So there's actually a heavier science element in the product like growth. And I think it's the convergence of those skills. One other interesting thing about Mongo is it's an open source company. And at Sapphire, we're big proponents of open source technology. And now we've seen a few you know, incredibly successful companies like Mongo and Red Hat, MuleSoft and others. But can you describe for the audience a little bit about how selling open source is different in a SaaS environment? Yeah, definitely. So when MongoDB started, uh, well before I got to Mongo, you know, there was, real, there was really a question around, you know, can can we build an open source product for developers and scale adoption while building a sustainable business? And so when it, when it first began, and just just to set the table for Mongo, it was really about doing something that was completely different when it comes to building a database. And so, uh, you know, there's this technology out there that's called relational technology. Think about rows and columns and, and how those operate. That's been around for 30, 40 years. And just to set the table on the market, the last database company to go public before Mongo was in the 1992. Give me a give me a year or two on both sides, if you don't mind. But uh, but but really, like like the market was very legacy, and so for Mongo to come out and do things very differently the way that they were it was very disruptive. And so in early days was really about driving adoption. And so for us, like the you know we gleaned a lot of the positive experiences from from open source. You know there was there was broad based adoption. We could we could monitor how many downloads we we're having. We're seeding the market much more than than uh, I think we even knew. So many companies going out there to use our product at a broad-based scale and then production. I think on the flip side of that, as a salesperson, and this is obviously coming from the sales perspective, there's always a free version. You know, there's always a, you're always kind of selling against yourself at times. So not only are you going against relational databases or the competition, but there's a free version of somebody else. You know, somebody giving the ability to deploy it on them on their own. Obviously, you know, they can adopt the product without best practices, especially in, in a very complex technology like a database. You can have people that, that they can deploy using best practices from maybe a relational product and, and deploy that into a, a document store like ours. And then also you have people that download open source for exactly what it is. It's open source. They have a build versus buy mentality. They, they don't want to buy managed services. And Mongo didn't have managed services when they first launched, but you know, there was a, like, I'm going to build my application from scratch. And they use a lot of automation, built-in automation and, and obviously into the cloud. But a real strong usage around, like, just go, just using a free product to accomplish their need. And so when you get into open source, you, 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 you run into that a little bit for people that, you know, they wanted to uh, just adopt a free, a free product to build their solution. I think one of the incredible stories about MongoDB is the transformation they went through from a product and go-to-market perspective. Can you explain a little bit about that transformation and, and that new product that was added and, and how it changed the dynamic at the company? Yeah, most certainly. So as, a, as an open source product, it was, it was really early about driving adoption. And then along the way, you know, monetizing through support and through tooling to allow people to, to, to use and scale the, the solution. The problem with that that product in the middle there, the subscription product was, you know, for one, it was it was uh, you know you were, you were attaching to customers that were at the end of their, their product life cycle, so they'd already built the product, they'd already tested. We were essentially selling support or tooling to help them manage manage the database. The product market fit was there in regards to the database itself and, and MongoDB, but it was also you know siloing the type of customers that we're going after. You know, like early stage companies. You know, I would say 
non-enterprise companies weren't necessarily the, the, the ideal customer profile that this product fit. And the reason was is because you know, many of these companies were cloud-first, they were innovative, they weren't looking for, you know, a way to, to manage a database, they were looking for ways to, you know, go to market faster and, and you know, realize value from the development team. And so once Atlas was, was created, there was a, it just completely changed the game. So companies went from trying to figure out not only how they deploy MongoDB, but use MongoDB in the backend, but also how to manage the database to just the, the first part, which is, you know, how do we use MongoDB to, to competitively differentiate ourselves in the market, whether it's going to market uh, quicker, it's realizing time to value and their development life cycle. I think there's also a TCO component to it, right? Where like instead of hiring people and processes and technology to like manage the database, now you're just you're buying a solution to help solve that and you're just really focused on on uh, being innovative with how you go to market. I think it might be helpful also to tell the audience what Atlas is from a product perspective and how that compared to the product you had existing. Yeah, most certainly. So Atlas is a is a database as a service. So you know, in, with our open source version, obviously you can you can download and deploy the, the product itself. But there's still a necessity to you know patch and upgrade and, and provision infrastructure for the for the database itself. Atlas takes all that away from you with a couple of clicks of the button. So you can you can uh, implement security. You can um, you know deploy features like online archiving or 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 a search function that we have built into the product. There's you know you can do automated backups all built within the product. And so it takes away all the operational overhead. The subscription product that, that we've sold for, for many years prior to Atlas and even so to today is a, is a product in which you can get warranty identification. It provides you with support. There's some tooling to help you manage the database. But again, you still have to do a lot of the uh, the operational overhead to keep the database up and running. So Javi, I think it's, it's pretty clear there was a, a huge product transformation going from an open source licensed product to a cloud managed service product, a lot of people forget that impacts other parts of the business. So can you specifically talk about what type of sales transformation that required? Yeah, 100%. So I think just for context, so Atlas was launched 2016, which is our database as a service. I joined in 2017. And I think at the time, our revenue from Atlas was less than 3% in the company. And you know, for various reasons. But when I joined the company, I think there was a, there was still a large emphasis on enterprise advanced and, and a lot of focus there. And so I noticed that there was one team that was really starting to pivot their focus on on selling the, the database as a service. And so they were looking at things completely different. It was a very focused territory management exercise. It was identifying the ICP. It was going after an expand model. And so I remember I flew to New York, sat with that team, learned what they did. Um, really tried to understand the nuances to that solution. And then when I came back to Austin and then obviously took over the North America role and opened the global role, implementing a lot of those processes was really, I think, what kind of changed the game for us a lot. And, and really what that was is a few things. And if I was about to get the advice to people, it was territory management is, is probably one of the biggest overlooked aspects of any sales opportunity. And so like understanding what type of customer we want to go after, how many accounts each rep should have, type of accounts that we wanted to go after, and then from there, there's kind of a sub-bullet, you know, the messaging that you want to drive, the persona that you want to go after, all of those sort of things was, was, a, was a big change. I think also there was a, a fundamental shift in how we sold. It was, it was less about trying to find the $100,000, you know, $200,000 deal. It was more about what customer, you know, what customer is the ideal customer profile? What person within the company is a champion for managed services? How do we latch on to that person that's trying to drive change within the company? And then let's just land small. Let's just do a 
you know, $5,000 deal, $10,000 deal. Make sure that we have services, you know, professional services, because we have an in-house services team that's excellent in educating that customer. And, and once it kind of went in that way, it was it was such an easier opportunity for us to continue to upsell and grow with that customer long-term. And so that really changed the game for us three and a half years ago and, and completely in the way that we that we went to market and the way it sold. There was a... Um, you know, there was some hesitation I can remember in the sales team because they were used to selling those really big, you know, enterprise advanced deals. And so there was a lot of, you know, in any change, like, you know, status quo has a large center of gravity for that quote before. And so, like, you always can tie back to the why, constantly communicating, you know, giving strong examples of, of wins, you know, building out, you know, proposed, you know, way to get to your number from a sales perspective, like, you know, hey, you're going to, you're going to miss the first two quarters. But that's okay because I want you to build pipeline. I want you to land small. Those, the, all those small deals that you've landed, they're going to be huge for you in Q3, Q4 of the year. And that's just the sales process, right? There were so many changes in, in our finance team, billing, sales productivity, and from our sales ops team, so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a, it's what I like to tell people is, is that there's, you know, I come at it from a sales perspective. There was so much that we did there and everything I just explained. But it's a true culture shift in the, in the way that we went to market when we made this change. And I know a lot of companies are starting off product-led growth, but if you are looking to make that transition, it's truly a culture change that, that needs to you know kind of be innovated um, from within. So in summary, I just want to highlight those key points is moving to a managed service like Atlas allowed you to cover more customer segments because before it was just the largest of the large customers that you were converting to paying customers and also allowed you to have that sales conversation much earlier in the product experience, correct? Yeah, exactly. And on top of that, like our, our small and medium businesses that were, that were adopting the product, we were looking for a needle in the haystack at the time, trying to find companies that were willing to pay for that subscription licensing or tooling because a lot of startups that were born in the cloud, very innovative tech forward, they weren't looking to add that type of licensing to their to their software. No, that's very helpful. Can you talk about a little bit about the natural tension in open source, even with Atlas? I mean, one of the things I think you're driving towards, as you mentioned, is I think open source is a great distribution strategy, right? It gets the product out there and it gets it in people's hands and it, it gets people using it. But what's that natural tension between that mass distribution and then trying, as you mentioned, to then monetize it? How do you manage the two? Yeah, it's probably a great question for our product team. But I, you know, what I, from what I've seen and how, they, how we've done it is, um, you know, I think it's really balancing how we market our product. I, there's, there's, you know, open source is our core. Open source is, is where Mongo, you know, came from. So that, that'll always be in our DNA. But I think at the same time, for us to launch a product like we did uh, in Atlas and really start to go after different segments of the market. For people, I'll give you an example. There's employees that have been with the company for five plus years. They were here before Atlas. And so in the early days of Atlas, there was a lot of, I think, not I wouldn't call it tension, but I would call like misunderstanding of what we're going towards. Like, are we really driving people to, to download a product or are we really driving people to try Atlas? And so like in our marketing messages and in in the action items and the white papers and, and the things that we put on the website, like reconfiguring like where we want to drive people was, was a big conversation that we've had. And I think we still have today as far as balancing open source versus, uh, versus our SaaS product. I think prior to Mongo, I, I saw in previous conversations you've had is you said it was more like selling insurance rather than a product. What do you mean by that? And how did that positioning change? Yeah. So the analogy that I like to use is like, imagine you're at a, you're a tech, tech, technical or technology uh, retail store. And you go to buy a TV. 
you go buy a TV, you go look at the TVs, you compare the TVs, you do some reading on the TVs, and then you go to the cash register and the person at the very end says, all right, do you want a, um, do you want to do the two-year insurance or the five-year insurance on this thing, right? At that point, the person at the cash register is really just being reactive to your entire customer journey, your entire process of buying the TV. Whereas if you have someone that's, and we'll get into this, but you have someone that's kind of there along the process. You know, I'm sure you've bought TVs before in person. So like, you know, what exactly what I'm talking about, but it's, you know, comparing the TVs, giving you, you know, asking you questions around what kind of room it's going to be in, like what height it's going to be, you know, what, you know, do you watch movies or, or sports, you know, really kind of doing some discovery, tying you to the right TV at the moment. And then also mentioning, Hey, like at the same time, you know, this is a good, big investment for you. You know, it probably makes sense to do this type of warranty. Do you need someone to come service it? Do you need someone to come install it? That entire process completely changes. And if you think about the total ticket on both of those items, one, the 50-50 chance that you get the insurance uh, sold by the register uh, scenario. The first one, you're potentially upselling someone along the way. You are getting them to potentially buy someone to come and hang the TV for them, accessories for the TV, everything. And, and then the support, obviously. And so... That's kind of the, the best metaphor that I can give you for, for, you know, what I've seen selling both products because, you know, when you're along for the entire journey, you really can kind of attach to the biggest pain and need and be strong discovery and, and, and sell the right solution to the right customer. So I come, I, I come from a place where I spent way too much money at Best Buy. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the metaphor. I like the metaphor. And oftentimes if I get asked at the point of the cash register, I do decline it. So maybe it, they would be better served if they, like you said, had more of a high touch experience during the process, might've sold me on it. So that's, I like that metaphor. I think one of the other things you mentioned is that Atlas kind of opened up conversations with the next gen unicorn type customers. How did that materialize? And from a sales perspective, how did you leave that? Yeah. So for a lot of the companies, again, when we were focusing on this, on the small and medium businesses with subscription product. It was, I mean, there was, there was high churn rates because the customer may not use support as much as they, they would like them to. So they, for example, they would, they would buy a one subscription license for what's called, you know, $50,000 to get to the end of the term. And they say, uh, you know, we can probably manage it ourselves. We use support once. We're, we're going to go back to the open source version. And so that was a really difficult sale. Uh, like I said, the, the, the product market fit was there for the date, the core database, but the managed, but the managed service not existing. And a subscription license being the only way to monetize the customer, it kind of left the small meeting business um, team to to really you know get into some knife fights when when it comes to like trying to turn a close deal. And so with the with the uh, as Atlas came aboard, that really changed because now a company that was let's call it a, a three person startup, a ten person you know Series A, Series B, maybe they're in Sapphire's portfolio. When they start up and they're thinking about how to go to market. They're not focused on you know building out a fully fledged ops team or someone to really manage their databases. We're thinking about how can we go to market faster? How can we disrupt the market? How can we go after the major player in the, in the market or pioneer a new way of doing things in this in this new market that we're that we're uh, you know whether it's you know low code no code type of situation. And so for those type of companies, not only was Mongo the database a great technology for them to use because of you know all the innovative qualities of the database. But the managed service is a great fit for them because they could really go to market faster and they don't have to worry about managing the operational overhead of the database. I think that's really important that you could then kind of empathize with their biggest, I guess, problem, which is speed, right? Time to market and product feedback. So Atlas kind of opened up that conversation. 
When you prospect in a software sale environment, what made it challenging? And then how has that changed now as a result of, of that managed service delivery product? Yeah. So for companies that weren't in the self-service funnel, companies that were that were using the the, the free version, uh, the open source version, you know, it was difficult difficult because they had already gone into production. They, the companies had already gone to market with with the database, and so it really it really changed the dynamic of how we sold and what we sold. Right? I, I think prospecting into a customer that's been using MongoDB for three years and and just expecting them to to welcome you with open arms um, because you have this new fancy managed service. Now, don't get me wrong, we did have several customers early days that weren't aware of, of our managed service. And I thought that was obviously an opportunity for us to, to change the way that we market it and those sort of things. But very early days, it was about either you know building awareness around our managed service or finding customers that were using the open source version and really doing discovery around, again, we're selling a managed service. So doing discovery around what I call, not a novel term, but people process technology. And so, for example, who are the people responsible for the database? How long have they been there? What do you feel like their skill, get, their skill sets are around managing the database? From the process perspective, how are you managing the database? How are you, how are you doing backups? How are you, how are you delivering security required by your customers? What technologies are you using to accomplish these, these processes? And when you fully understand all of those things, the goal as a sales team is to really kind of correlate all those things back to, hey, like, here's some inefficiencies in your business. This is how Atlas or Managed Service can actually solve a lot of these pain points. That you're really building people or processes or acquiring a technology to solve. And so that was a huge shift in how we trained our sellers and, and how we sold. As a result of Atlas, you developed actually three distinct customer channels. In, in a way, it diversified your go-to-market motion one being self-serve, the other being inside sales, and then lastly, field sales. Can you elaborate what each of those motions do and how they work together? Yeah, most certainly. So before Atlas was created, we had you know the typical inside-outside sales teams, you know, enterprise team calling on the enterprises, inside sales team selling from the inside. And again, they were selling the product that, that we had talked about earlier. But when, with the invention of self-service, it was really, you know, open source will always be our top of funnel mechanism for driving adoption. But the self-service engine was really our first opportunity to gain insight into who was trying our product, monetizing, you know, people that were that were early on and and using Mongo. So maybe they were prototyping and then they would spin up an Atlas cluster and, and then start paying once they kind of went into um, testing QA and then obviously paying more as they went into um, into production. And so for the self-service funnel in particular, it, it today it is one of our greatest customer acquisition mechanisms that we have as a company. And so you layer on top of that an inside sales team where, you know, most inside sales teams are they're overlays or they are they're they're more of a transactional type sales team and, and don't get me wrong, like the inside sales deals are a little bit faster than the enterprise team. But I think in the core DNA of what MongoDB is, you know, our, I, I think our true differentiators in the market are two things. We have a heavy emphasis on enablement. We spend five X more than any other software company enablement. The second one is sales process. Like they really kind of come from our board team and our executives really having a strong sales process. And so it's hard to be an inside sales team and not kind of carry in that DNA into your daily sales process. And so the inside sales team is really focused on, you know, monetizing the open source customers, calling on the, the self-service leads and, and that we're seeing in the, in the funnel and working to grow those customers, you know, as time went on. Now, enterprise, very similarly, going after com- companies that were using Mongo, but they're also latching themselves onto some some very large initiatives that enterprises are running. So whether it's legacy modernization 
or trying to build a um, a new application to kind of keep up with 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 maybe a disruptor in the market. And so they they recognized that MongoDB was a very innovative database, and still still is obviously, but um, innovative database to kind of re-platform some of their legacy applications. And and so the field sales team really latching on to some of those really big multi-million and, and sometimes billion-dollar projects is, is how they go to market today. That's helpful and kind of helps understand how you instrument those three teams. Are there signals where the self-serve team is feeding information to the inside sales teams to say, these are the right prospects that you should be calling on? And then, you know, vice versa, are there, are there whether it's product telemetry or different signals that you're going off to kind of feed that, that, that sales motion? Yeah, so like like most software companies, they you know there's an NQL PQL model that that has been set up internally, and so I think mean, the key is, and the question that I always hear from from people is, at what point do you introduce salespeople? What role do salespeople play? Do you even have salespeople involved? All those sort of things, and so I think mean, the key piece there is is very early on, uh, at least when I got to Mongo, you know there was a transition of selling the enterprise solution into selling the managed service solution, and so the big difference there is. It's a bunch of different things, actually. It's, it's the kind of conversations that you have, what you're qualifying for from a sales perspective, but also what you're going after ultimately, right? I mean, and, and when you're selling a managed service, you have to find a champion of managed services to begin with. Um, someone that really values, you know, buying a solution to solve the problem versus building. I think secondly, it was really important for us to try to do a land and expand model. And it was very risky in the beginning, right? Because, you know, we were going from we're sending $250,000 quotes out, $100,000 quotes out to saying, hey, like, try it for $20,000 and uh, we'll see you again in six months. And, you know, for salesperson in particular, especially the other days, that was really difficult to believe in, I would say. Like, it, it, uh, you know, and I, and, I, and I had to believe in it myself, to be honest with you. It took a lot of courage from our team, you know. Obviously, we had, we had great salespeople and, and I had a great team at the time that uh, kind of believed in where we're going. But to, but, to, but to completely fundamentally change how we're selling is a huge, huge change that we made around we're just going after smaller lands and knowing that the product was sticky enough for customers to, to grow. And so to your question about telemetry, you know, it was really like see logos, you would see spend spiking. We would see all those sort of things and then latch ourselves onto some of those customers. It was very unsophisticated, I would say, three and a half years ago. But, you know, you learn. You learn. I mean, that's, that's a huge part of change. Not only were we changing in the way that we're going to market from a product perspective, but as a sales team, you know, we were really learning how we need to interact with these customers. And since then, we've gotten much more sophisticated and utilizing our sales development team, utilizing our cloud team that we have, utilizing our inside sales team, the enterprise team, obviously doing the same thing, but figuring out which type of customers we should be latching onto which projects are real and then using our discovery process to make those, those deals bigger. That's a great point you bring up there that the freemium product, the, the managed service product typically has small lands and bigger expands. Who is responsible for that in MongoDB? Because I see that's another question a lot of organizations have is like, who is then responsible for those bigger upsells? It obviously impacts quota and, and things of that nature. So is your team responsible for that as well? They are. They are. Yeah. So it, it, that's a real territory management exercise for us, right? At making sure that the customers or the reps that have, you know, install base or some sort of opportunity to grow accounts, like we're, we're, we're constantly iterating on the territory that they, that they, that they have in, the, in their name. I think obviously you know, we also have a very strong customer success team. And so a lot of that customer engagement and adoption is being driven by our customer success team. And so when you pair up the account executives with the CSMs, it's really kind of given us a, a huge opportunity to grow. Now, I think there's a lot of opportunity, like any 
sales team to continue to look for ways to create more efficiencies and, and grow accounts in the proper way that we want them to. But today, like the, the process has been very strong for us in, in the way that we go to market. The other thing you mentioned is that by moving to this kind of new managed service product and, and this more kind of holistic go-to-market approach and product suite is, as you said, allowed your sales team, your inside sales team to act less as an overlay and a transactional team and operate more in an enterprise sales way, even though they, they may not be the account executives. So what do you kind of mean by that? Can you explain that a little bit further? Yeah, definitely. So, so we have corporate account executives, but like I mentioned earlier, the enablement and sales process is in Mongo's DNA. And so when you come into Mongo, whether you're an SDR or an enterprise, senior enterprise rep, you know, you're trained on the same fundamental sales processes. And so for the inside sales team, if I can paint a picture for you, 2017, 2018, you know, there's a, there's still a cloud renaissance going, but in the, in the early days, there, you know, there were a lot of companies that were adopting the product that we had never spoken to before because of the, the, the product that we were selling. And now all of a sudden, we have this managed service that customers really want to use early on. And so, you know, because it's a consumption-based product and because, you know, some of these companies were, you know, they were going through A, B, C, or maybe even public, publicly traded, but they weren't quite the size from a revenue or employee count. We're walking into some pretty hefty size deals pretty quickly. And so thankfully we have a, a strong sales process internally and, you know, the sales team and uh, along with um, the other leaders on the team were trained to, to handle these accounts. You know, we, we really latch ourselves onto some really big projects and some really, you know, high growth companies that we're really proud to say are on the DB logos now. I think that's great. And one of the other things you mentioned, which I really thought was was interesting, is you you have a dedicated cloud team and they act between the self-service and your traditional sales team. Can you explain the role of that and why they are important in your sales process? Yeah. So very early on, what I and maybe this is from coming from my last software company. I recognize that there were thousands of leads, thousands of downloads coming into our SaaS product. But because we had such a strong outbound culture, I felt like those those opportunities could be better served. And so we created two pilots. Um, one was to see if we can move from customers from free to paid in a more efficient manner. The second one was if we just if we went to those cloud customers that were using the self-service product, didn't try to get them onto a contract, didn't try to get a big ACV deal out of them, and really nurtured them and, and tried to understand how they were using Mongo and, and help them out in any way that we could, could. It was a completely different way of, of selling. And so we learned that there was a huge opportunity for us to start to work better with our self-service customers, the ones that had adopted the product on their own and grown with Atlas on their own. And so for us, you know, the, the, the team has evolved and the comp plan have changed and it's a much larger team now. We actually, we actually have a global leader now for that team. And so it was a huge opportunity for us to continue to grow that team. But, you know, I talked to a lot of um, founders that are, that are looking to kind of grow this sort of sales motion. And what I constantly tell them is revenue is important, but I think there's a, there's, there's a tendency to always gravitate towards like, okay, I have all these leads or I have all this demand on my self-service product. Like, how do I go and get a million dollar deal out of this customer? How do I get the $500,000 contract? And to be honest with you, that's, it's almost the anti-pattern of, of how you want to engage with these customers. I think, you know, focusing on customer success early is, is super important. Making sure the customer is successful on your application or on your product is, is, is important. Um, latching on to the customer's goals are really important. And so if you can do that effectively and not worry about trying to land a contract, the, the, moment, the ACV and the ARR and MR will grow over time. And so really big learning for us. And, and this team is continuing to evolve and, and learn and adapt. So is that team 
a customer success team for the free use for the self-serve users? Do they actually carry quota that they to close or, or when it turns into a sales opportunity or a larger sales opportunity, do they then pass that along to the dedicated sales team and uh, enterprise account team? It's a little bit of, it's a mix. So the, the, uh, the, the comp plans are, are based on leading indicators. So we really want to focus to make sure that, um, you know, they're focused on making sure the customer is successful. Uh, they're not a customer success team, but they're kind of a hybrid of the sales slash customer success. I think as uh, product-led growth evolves, I think that those those uh, nomenclatures will obviously get mixed over time. But this team is really focused on leading indicators that will drive lagging indicator success. And so there are opportunities for us when, you know, an account starts to get a little bit complex or an account um, starts to outgrow the cloud team that we will nominate those accounts to move into a, a, a full sales cycle or move to the sales team. But for the most part, what we found is, is that the cloud team is very, is highly efficient. They're focused on the right things early on in the customer journey. And I think if, you know, as long as you set those things up correctly, the life cycle of the customer is so much smoother. I think there's a, there's an analogy that we use internally that our CRO created, which was, you know, it's the bow and the arrow. I think sometimes you try to focus too much on trying to, uh, change the direction or, or change the path of the arrow. Whereas, you know, you really want to make sure that the bow is pointed in the right direction and it's pulled at the right sort of velocity and, and you're really focused there. No, I think it's really interesting that you've created this kind of like hybrid specialist team for that cloud motion. I want to ask one more question on this. How do you identify then what comes from self-serve should then go to cloud or enterprise sales team? Is it is it employee threshold or or does everything go through the cloud team before it gets to the enterprise sales team? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, like most companies, we have, you know, account indicators, email domain, you know, indicators, those sort of things. And so those create an MQL and, and obviously those, those indicate, you know, where we need to engage. But I think at the same time, you know, we're also building out the muscle of, of identifying customers that maybe don't fully go, you know, fully adopt or go through that, uh, that growth funnel. And so what I mean by that is in any growth funnel, there's, there's, uh, there's attrition that happens throughout, right? Whether it's at the registration page or if we're unable to convert to MQL. And so we're in the process of, of, uh, you know, building out some more, I would say like BDR muscles to help catch, you know, kind of the safety that I would say, like outside of that growth funnel to make sure that we're really turning over every rock and, and making sure that we're engaging with the, with all the right customers. And so once we actually do engage with a customer, there are obviously indicators of complexity, potential growth, and, uh, and other indicators that give us the opportunity to, to nominate those accounts to, to go to a full-fledged sales team. I see. You mentioned the collaboration with marketing, and I think it's one of the things that's oftentimes kind of overlooked if you're a sales leader or if you're a marketing leader is, is like the importance of that collaboration. Can you just high level talk about how you collaborate with your marketing peers at Mongo and what you found successful, especially in a sales motion that has that kind of high velocity approach where there is a wide funnel at the top? Definitely. So the conversations that I have with our marketing team, I think we have a brilliant marketing team and, and, and uh, team leaders, but a lot of the conversations that we have are around messaging, around you know topic campaigns we should be running, around you know kind of what we're seeing in the in the market. And so you know, I'll give you an example. So you know, we could be running a campaign to target customers that are using a competitive product, but the competitive product isn't necessarily a direct competitor of Atlas. It's more of a direct competitor of MongoDB, the database. And so, trying to get customers to shift from a relational database to a non-relational database is more of the message that you could drive, for example. And so it's it's a really strong collaboration that we have when, you know, we're giving feedback from the field back to marketing and obviously marketing is, is doing the same for us. So do you have, 
is there like stand-up meetings where you're taking that feedback and, and giving it to the marketing team? Do you do that monthly? Uh, is there a cadence or is it just when you find something interesting from the team, you'll then relay that to marketing? Yeah, it's bi-weekly one-on-ones with the, with the marketing team at, at the moment is, is really important for us. Something that they've implemented recently is, is they have a marketing QBR where they're presenting to the sales team, you know, the campaigns they run, the results. You know, we, we talk a lot about attribution, uh, making sure that we're attributing the, the right marketing campaigns to the right sales deals, you know. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've discussed, especially in a product-led growth transition for our company is, is uh, attribution. You know, attribution typically for a marketing team is, is closed one, a closed one campaign and how many closed one deals would we drive. But in a product-led growth or a self-service funnel, potentially your measurement should be how many customers would we get to pay on the product, which there isn't necessarily a, a closed one deal. And so um, the conversations that we have there are, are very, you know, great and collaborative. And I think, you know, the journey that we've had along with the marketing team in regards to how we're changing, something that I haven't mentioned, I'm not, I'm not going to go on a tangent here or caveat, is, is when, when we made this change from open source licensing to, to, to database and service, there's so many things that uh, that you don't think about. It's a, it's a true culture change. Um, everything from you know the cash flow that you can be expecting to the sales compensation models to how sales ops measures productivity to you know marketing attribution, which I just mentioned. And so there's so much to it. I think you know you have to be able to you know lead with an opinion, obviously observe and learn, as well as react and, and adapt to to the changes that you see and, and use data, but also you've got at the same time to make changes as you as you change the world. I think that's a good way to end it. We get back to the art and the science and the balance of those two things. This was a great conversation covering everything from selling to unicorns to a product transformation that led to a go-to-market transformation and selling cloud services and really expanding that story and how you organize your team around that. I like to end these podcasts with a question that has nothing to do with enterprise tech and more kind of, I guess, humanizes the conversation a bit. And I know, Javi, that you're in Austin a very popular place right now for Bay Area transplants. Sorry for the housing prices in advance. But can you give maybe for those Bay Area transplants that are coming to Austin, what's the go-to barbecue food of choice for you? Yeah, there's a saying in Austin, they say, uh, welcome to Austin, but I hear Dallas is nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they're responsible for the uh, the uptake in our square footage uh, valuation of our housing. But uh, no, to answer your question, so I'm actually born and raised in Austin, um, which is, you know, kind of maybe a, a unicorn status these days. But my favorite barbecue, you know, there's I always recommend people to go look at Texas Monthly. Texas Monthly has a top 50 barbecue joint articles that they constantly update. And Central Texas, is by far known as some of the best best barbecue. I always recommend people, if they can do it, to go out to Lockhart, Texas. Lockhart, Texas is a small town. I think it's, I don't know, 15,000, 20,000 people. But it's known as the barbecue capital of the world. It's about 45 minutes south of Austin. And they have three or four of some of the best barbecue places in one in one uh, town. My favorite is Kreitz, just because you know I love sides. And actually at Kreitz, you, you can't, there's no sauce and there's no forks. And so you uh, you have to get creative with how you eat the barbecue, but uh, that, that's my personal favorite. I was to say, if there's a personal favorite in town, favorite barbecue place in town, I, I live south, so the Salt Lake is just more convenient for me. It's more of an experience. If you're from California, like you really love like the hill country feel of, of Salt Lake. I always recommend Blacks for people that are just looking for for a good barbecue. So I can go on and on about barbecue. Obviously, Franklin's is out there. L.A. barbecue. Sorry, one more. L.A. barbecue is also really great. East Six. 
that, that place killer brisket. And I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to this stuff. Like I, I, uh, I try to do my own barbecue. I follow seasoning, how people smoke, the type of wood that they use. It's like a religion in Texas. And so people on this podcast may be thinking like, what the heck is this guy talking about? But it's part of, it's part of our culture and, and being in Texas. So yeah, I could, I, maybe we should do a podcast with some barbecue. <laughs> That's right. This turned into a food podcast. Who knew? But now you got me really yeah. hungry. <laughs> and uh, definitely when I come out to Austin next, I'm going to check out all those spots. Javi, if people want to get in touch with you to talk about enterprise technology selling and maybe even barbecue, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Through LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn is LinkedIn is great. I'm more I'm not much of a poster on on um, on Twitter, but I could use some more followers if, if people are, are willing to enable. My Twitter handle is uh, Javier Molina SW on Twitter. LinkedIn, you can find me Javier Molina at uh, on on Long.vg. So, yeah, I would love to hear from anybody with questions or, or um, and, and I do, I do try to do my best. Like people are looking to transition their company from, you know, either you know selling an enterprise subscription model to PLG, or they're just launching in PLG, giving them best practices. Tend to take those phone calls just to, just to offer my advice. So feel free to reach out, and I'm, I'm happy to be a, a resource. Awesome! This was a great conversation, Javi. I really appreciate the time, and thank you for you joining know, look us on this week's episode of the Startup Guide to Growth. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and we invite you to visit sapphireventures.com for detailed show notes, additional company building resources, and information on how you can connect with Sapphire Ventures and our team. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Google so that other operators and entrepreneurs can find our show. And make sure to tune into next week's episode to discover the latest trends, techniques, and strategies for startup success. Until next time, keep building. Keep building.